Hi, kids. Uncle Bob here. We appreciate you taking the time to check out today's episode. Hopefully, it will help keep you entertained while you're locked away in your house, properly social distancing yourself. Stay safe, stay hopeful, and it seems crazy, but we're going to get through this thing together. Now, on to today's episode. Remember to wash your hands. Okay. Are you rolling? Uh, yep, go ahead and roll. Boy, that couch. Sounds great with that compression. Yeah, right. That's <laughs> a good sound. This is this Clear Mountain Domain. My name's Bob Clearmountain. You're listening to the Clear Mountains Domain podcast. I have with me Cody Klo from Apogee Electronics, and we're going to have a little discussion about all sorts of stuff. And as always, I've got a lot of questions for you, Bob. So episode number three, this is very exciting, specifically because you just launched your very own plugins called Clear Mountains Domain, hence the name of the podcast. So... To start off today, I'd love to ask you a few questions about it. I mean, wow, I've used it. It's amazing. It's it's honestly one of the coolest plugins, truthfully, I've ever used. Oh, thanks, Cody. And I've been actually maybe overusing it on every single possible thing I can find to put Clear Mountain's domain on. I've been doing it. But tell me a little bit about it. Did you ever think one day I'm going to have my own plugin or how did it, you know, how did it come about? Absolutely not. It's the last thing I I ever thought. I mean, I don't mix in the box. I mix on a big hunk of metal called an SSL. I use a lot of digital effects. I use digital reverbs, digital delays. Everything I mix comes from digital, from Pro Tools normally, and then goes back to Pro Tools. And I do use a few few plugins. I use some uh, reverb plugins and things like isotope, things to fix sounds. Because I I do a lot of... uh, live concert videos for Rolling Stones and Springsteen and Toto and a bunch of other people. I did a Doobie Brothers one this year. And yes, Doobie Brothers are still playing. Wow. (laughs) That's usually the question that comes up. (laughs) They're still at it and they sound very good. You know, so I really, most of the plugins I use are things that that fix problems, like hums and clicks and buzzes and bad edits and stuff like that. But um, over the years, I've sort of loved doing things with delays and reverbs and things like that. And of course, not not every record even needs a reverb or a delay. But sometimes things like uh, Roxy Music's Avalon was very big and expansive, and there's a lot of reverb and delays and things like that. And some some records like that really call for it. So I kind of develop a sort of a system. I mean, it changes a lot. It isn't one thing. It's usually there's a couple of like a stereo delay of some sort, they're not always the same on the left and the right. They, I usually feed them into harmonizers to kind of thicken them up a little bit. Sometimes I'll add a little distortion, I'll EQ them, and then they'll feed into a bunch of different reverbs depending on how big I want the sound or, and how much depth I want or if I want it really close or if it's a short slap like a live thing. There's a lot of different variations to this. In the analog world, it's very, it's actually pretty easy. You know, I'll send an aux into some delays, and that'll come back in the console, and that'll just, you know, just turn some knobs, and it's going into some reverbs, click a couple buses, and it's going into some harmonizers. It's pretty simple. And uh, so my my assistant, Sergio Ruelas, who was working with me for the last six years, up until about six months ago when Apple hired him, <laughs> I guess they could pay him more. And uh, <laughs> he, he's a big Pro Tools user and a big Logic user. In fact, he came originally from Logic. He worked for Apple originally before he got hired by Apogee. 
brilliant, incredible guitar player, great songwriter. I mean, just a brilliant guy and a really good mixer besides. And he said that he tried to somewhat duplicate or try to get something like what I did in the analog world with all these delays and harmonizers and things. And he tried to do it in the box, in Logic, and then he tried to do it in Pro Tools. Logic, he couldn't even get close. Pro Tools, he could sort of get close, but he couldn't get it to work the same way that, that I was getting it to work every day. So he suggested, he said, you know, it's a shame there's not a plug-in that combines all these things in one plug-in so that um, it was easy to do. I tried to do it myself in Pro Tools. I tried to string a bunch of plugins together to try to simulate the same thing, and I couldn't at all. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty miserable at, in the box at Pro Tools. And so uh, I almost threw the damn thing in the pool because <laughs> it just <laughs> pissed me off. It gave me a really bad headache. Sergio's, yeah, as you know, one of my best friends. And I remember him telling me this way back in the day. When he first started working with you, he would watch the way that you had everything routed. And he said it, it was like nothing he'd ever seen. And when he tried to recreate it in the box, he's like, it, it's you just can't. Yeah, some people have said that you can do it. Well, okay, knock yourself out. Yeah. But it's really yeah, hard. Right. And I'm sure somebody can kind of get close. But... Uh, I mean, like I say, in the analog world, it's to me, it's like not, I never really thought about it. It's just something that you do to make it get some depth. I like to call it, it's where your mix lives. Right. And it really is, the, it's an environment. It's creating an environment for your mix. I mean, records are record, generally recorded pretty dry. Most people don't record with reverb. I mean, more and more people are recording with reverb nowadays because in the box, it's so easy to do that, I suppose which always pisses me off because then it kind of limits uh, what I could do. If somebody's right. already recorded a bunch of reverb on the multi-track, then you know, what if I want a different type of reverb or I want it in surround or something like that because I do a lot of surround mixing. But anyway, so we decided, okay, if we could find somebody that could was good at coding, I mean, we didn't know anything about plugins. Right. You know, we don't work with Waves or UA or any of these companies that are experts at this sort of thing. And so through Apogee, luckily, because we have this uh, association with Apogee, I mean, I am married to the boss, so that's Details. part of it. But I mean, I, I'm a, I think of myself as a consultant for Apogee because I, I consult on a lot of the products that they develop. I mean, honestly, I don't know if you know this. We secretly have this thing called the Bob Test. Has yeah. anyone told you this? No, no. So no. when we develop something new, we give it to you. And if you give it back, we know it's not ready. But if you're like, hey, can I hang on to this? We're like, all right, Bob tested, Bob approved. <laughs> right. Oh, there we go. And so we thought, well, maybe with Apogee, we could come up with something. And they, the people at Apogee loved the idea because it's a, just another avenue to get into that, that they hadn't done. In fact, they, they were just starting to, a year ago, when we first came up with this idea, they were just starting to do plugins. In fact, Apogee has some of the best plugins on the, on the market. It, for what they do, I wouldn't hesitate to say that they are the best. They have a compressor called a Mod Comp, which is incredible. It's a very modern sort of compressor. They have a, an equalizer called a Mod EQ, which just is amazing. It's a graphic equalizer that's just second and none. They have... Um, the only endorsed Poltec. The only endorsed Poltec, the EQP1A, and then and an MEQ. That's true. It's the only plugin that is actually legally allowed to use the name Pultec was developed along with Steve Jackson from Pulse Techniques. 
you know, they're really good. I mean, these people at Apogee, I mean, everybody knows them as fanatics because the, the converters, there's no better converters on the market anywhere. And I don't care what you pay for them. There's nothing that's better. And uh, there might be something that's different that somebody might like more, maybe. Although, uh, I don't understand why, because <laughs> but Apogee gear is just second to none. Absolutely. And their plugins are the same. The mod comp compressor, the, they call it mod, it's like a modern compressor, is the closest thing I've ever found to the SSL stereo bus compressor. Wow. In fact, I, in some ways, I think it's better because wow. it's, it's more versatile. And so anyway, through Apogee, we were able to come up with this. There's a, a guy named Roger Rabindere who... Reminds me of Doc Brown from Back to the Future. Yeah, leader of the team. He's kind of kind of nutty. He used to have the big hair, too. It was perfect. That's right. Yeah, sort of real fanatic. I mean, they're all fanatics, you know. Um, Sean MacArthur, who is... Um, he's the graphics guy. He he provided provides the look of everything. He actually designs the faces of most of the Apogee gear, if not all of it, really. And then there was a... A German guy that we uh, we've been working with named Stefan. He was the the main coder. He and he's just a brilliant guy. He's a musician, incredible pianist actually. And we went to him with the idea, and he said, "Oh yeah, that's no problem. We can do all that kind of thing easily." And so we spent about eight or ten months working on it and refining it and coming up with with exactly what it was. I mean, we kept making changes, kept improving it. It took a while to, to get it to a point where I thought it was something that I could use. Yeah, there's a, a picture that was floating around a little bit here in the office. It's kind of an in-house meme. And it was a, it was a picture I took at your studio of your patch bay. Ah. It just looks like spaghetti. I mean, just everything patched everywhere else and routed through different things. And, and I mean, that's Clear Mountain's domain. And Yeah. It's, it's like a picture of my brain. <laughs> <laughs> Which is impressive. Well, let me ask you this. How did you go this long without having your own plugin? I mean, everyone has their own plugin, right? And then, and then here, you, one of the most legendary, if not, you know, debatably the most legendary mixer ever. How, how have you escaped the plugin game? I'm sure you've probably been hit up by everyone and their, their mom, you know? Yeah, well, all my, all my friends were doing it. And I thought, they've all done it already, right? Chris Lord Algie's got his CLA things, and Jack Puig's got his things, and Manny American's got a, some pretty interesting things. All these guys have their plugins. And I thought, well, what, what could I possibly do? Until this came up, and we realized that nobody had done something quite like this. No, there's nothing like it, at least not that I've seen. This is a bit different. I remember Betty kept saying, you, you should go and try all the other plugins and make sure there isn't anything like yours. And I said, okay. I, I mean, I tried a bunch of them. I don't really had that much opportunity to try plugins like that because I'm mixing in, on a console and still really busy. And so I kind of do my thing, what I do, and I don't have a lot of time to play around with stuff, unfortunately. And But I did try a bunch of things, and I couldn't find anything kind of like it or that even really looked like it or looked like what I wanted it to look like, I should say. And so, and so we did it, and the response has been incredible people are just losing their mind over it, myself included. I was actually surprised because I thought this is just stuff that I do. Who else is going to care? Right, right. I really didn't think anybody would give a crap. Oh, man. It's and, incredible. And it's interesting, too, because I feel like there are a lot of good plugins out there, and I've used a lot of them. And I will oftentimes, you know, try out a new plugin, open it up, and I I like it or I don't or whatever, but I I can't remember the last time I tried a plugin 
that was like, I've never, ever heard anything like this. It felt, it just, it's so unique and new and it, it's really exciting. And I put it on everything. There's a bunch of presets, which are kind of samples of what I might have done on certain records that I, I mixed, like, uh, like the Let's Dance Delay or the Start Me Up Reverb, things like that, the Avalon vocal delays. But um, really the point of it is not to get hung up on the presets. They're sort of starting points that just get you going. And what I, I really encourage people to get under the hood because every parameter that I used to make the presets are available to everyone. And they're very easy to get at. After you go through it a few times, it becomes very obvious what everything does and how the different controls and effects relate to each other. And this is the whole thing is, is that you build up sort of a, like a scene, you know, scenes of effects. And so it's, it's really up to the mixer. I mean, get creative. When I was learning, I was always just trying stuff on my own. I wasn't asking people and people weren't telling me what to do and telling me how to, what sort of delays to use or what sort of reverbs to use. It was just in my head and I would just try different things until the producer or the artist thought, oh, that sounds, yeah, that sounds like what I'm thinking. Or I just liked it. And that's part of the fun of mixing is coming up with stuff. And this gives you that, that ability to very easily in the box, try lots of different things and just try stuff until something works for you for that particular piece of music. I love that. And I'm going to be honest with you. I've heard you say that now so many times. I actually was with you, I think, maybe the first time you did your your entirely in-the-box mix. Uh, we, yeah. we went out to one Sorry. of the dealers that we work with and used some of their incredible musicians and recorded a song and used Clear Mountain's Domain there. That was my first in-the-box mix, that's yeah. right. And even though I've heard you say it over and over, like encouraging everyone to you know, go under the hood and do their own presets, I can't get away from the default presets. They're so good. I just, I, I haven't even explored yet. So at some point I will, but man, I, I'm loving it so far. So well done. Well, I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so you mentioned at the beginning of the story about kind of coming up with it, you mentioned Sergio. So Sergio was one of your assistants. You've had many assistants over the years. And I'm just kind of curious, what does the role of an assistant look like? Why do you have assistants? I'm, I've heard stories. Sometimes they're like slaves. Is it more of a, you need someone to do coffee runs? What does the role of an assistant for Bob Clear Mountain look like? I mean, they're just... Regular people, uh, I've been incredibly lucky because I've had a string of absolutely brilliant assistants and they've all gone on to, um, to do better things and they're all smarter than me, <laughs> which is the most important thing. Um, there was, let's see, well, it started with, with um, Nick Patterson who right. worked for Betty for years. He, he lasted a year and he just hated it. <laughs> In fact, we had those, those Sony DAT machines and I couldn't even get him to press play on one of them. He, he was like, he was kind of scared of technology. That's he, great. He's more of a kind of a roadie type guy that, um, even though he's retired, he still works in the shipping department at Apogee occasionally. He's great. If you watch the uh, 30th anniversary Apogee video, you'll see him in there going, yeah. what? This is a company? No one told me <laughs> that. Really funny. From Liverpool. And, and then after that was uh, Ryan Freeland, who's done really well. He's, he's a producer and an engineer. And then was uh, David Boucher, who got a Grammy, I think, a couple of years mm -hmm. ago because he mixed, recorded and mixed Frozen. Yeah, a little up-and-coming song. Yeah, you right. You might have heard of it. He's done incredibly well. I'm so proud of him, man. The guy's, he's just brilliant. He's another 
great musician. Then was uh, Kevin Harp, who's a mm-hmm. great musician and a, a drummer. He plays with local bands. And, and these guys are all techs as well, so they could fix stuff, right. which is great because I don't have a full-time tech. Let's see. And then was, uh, I guess, after was Kevin. Was it Brandon then? Oh, and then Brandon, of course, who's here, actually. Yeah, just actually behind around. you right now. Yeah, he, Brandon and I actually designed and built the Apogee Studio. He designed most of the wiring in the studio, and he, he's a huge part of this place. I mean, just brilliant. And another musician as well, and a tech. He can fix anything, pretty much. He keeps the... I've literally seen him pull the Neve apart piece by piece, and it terrifies me. He keeps <laughs> it running. So he's crazy. the one that keeps it going. Um, so Brandon was great, and then uh, and then Sergio, and Sergio was originally an Apple guy with you, yeah, yeah. And uh, Betty hired the two of you. He worked at, at Apogee for a while, and then when Brandon decided to make his move to become independent engineer and producer, he's been producing people. Then yeah, then Sergio started working for me, and he's been great. Plus, being the the uh, lead guitar player in in the Apogee band, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So what does that look like? You've gone through all these different assistants over the years. Is it, you know, like you hit a certain age and you retire? What does it look like? And how does that rotation go? Well, um, before that, the most important thing about assistants to me is catching my mistakes. <laughs> right. Because I make a lot of them. <laughs> and especially when you're mixing, because I mix stereo and surround at the same time. So a lot of times I'm just thinking about the stereo and not paying attention to the surround. Right. So, you know, they'll say, you know, this uh, that guitar there isn't assigned to any surround speakers. <laughs> so, so number yeah. one number one job, don't Catch. make me look bad. <laughs> yeah. And uh and I'm you know, I'm not proud. I mean just you can call it out. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Cause uh I'm the first to admit that uh I'm not perfect. I sure. laughed so hard at that Gear Sluts video of you at the end, the little the bloopers thing. Trying to make <laughs> Pro Tools to work. It was so Trying great. to get it to work. Why? How come this thing's not playing? Oh, so funny. If you haven't seen it, go to YouTube, type in Gear Sluts, Bob Clear Mountain, watch the uh, interview from, what was it, AES? Yeah. From uh, AES. 2019. Oh, it's so funny. But um, yeah, I mean, it's usually like four to six years. That, I mean, they kind of get sick of looking in the back of my head and they really... <laughs> should go on with their own careers, you know, either become record producers or engineers, mixers, or um, like, let's see, Sergio is is working for Apple now. He's doing, I don't know what he's, it's all top secret up there, so I don't it even is. know what he does. Yeah. <laughs> and is that something that you push them towards to move on to something great? Is it something that they do on their own, or is it it's sometimes a combination of both? Kind of a combination of both. You I know, love that. They got to get bored with, uh, there's just so much they can pick up from me. And then it's time to get out, go out and use that and be creative on their own. You know, Brandon's actually been, now that Sergio's gone, Brandon came back and sort of helped me with a bunch of projects, but he's still running the Apogee Studios. And in fact, he's, he's waiting for us to finish yeah. this so he can get it into a session. <laughs> okay, so next thing I was kind of curious about. In a previous episode, we talked about your house and your studio at home, the Mix This, which I love the exclamation point. It now makes sense after hearing that story last episode. The first time I went to your house, I was a bit in awe. I was like, oh my gosh, this place is incredible. The the pool slide probably. I mean, that didn't hurt. (laughs) The wall that automatically opens up to a tropical paradise right outside of your studio, uh, like... Just this incredible experience. And then 
we go to eat and I don't, I don't even remember what the, it was some kind of party or event or something. You guys are always entertaining someone. And I remember this food was catered by the most incredible catering company uh, who I actually ended up using for my wedding. I love them so much. Command and, performance. Yeah, command performance there. Incredible. And I remember just thinking, this is crazy. I'm at Betty and Bob's house. What an experience. And then... I was I was so confused when I got a plate to get food and the plates they looked like they were out of a child's room not like what I expected not part of the whole experience and I was like this is interesting tell us a little bit about these plates there's a really cool history here well this of course is Betty's idea years ago there's this company called Make a Plate and you get this kit it comes in a box and they give you a bunch of round pieces of paper and a bunch of special pens. And uh, you just draw on this piece of paper, send it off, and they kind of form it into a plastic plate. And you get that picture and the surface of the plate. That's, that's how that works. And so we bought a whole bunch of these and just set them around. And back in the day, we don't get that many people coming to sessions anymore because it's mostly done online. But we would encourage people, if you have any artistic ability or not, just to draw something on a piece of paper and whatever you're thinking and whatever you're feeling. And so we have a whole stack of these plates from all different different bands that we've worked with, an artist. Actually, that first time, I think Mick Jagger had done that one. Oh, could be. And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, that's awesome. <laughs> that totally changes it. Anyway, all right, let's jump back into uh, music stuff. You just mentioned most stuff is done online now as far as listening to mixes and whatnot. What does that process look like for you? How do you deliver mixes and get notes and all that stuff? Is it through email or what do you do? Yeah, well, so much of the stuff I do, I, I never even see anybody. Really? I don't, I don't see the artists and, uh, or the producer because I mix stuff for people in, in London or Australia, France. They'll just send me the tracks over the internet usually, put the session together, I mix it, and then I'll send a, an AAC or a WAV file, depending on, um, I don't know what that depends on, but because <laughs> some people can't deal with a WAV file because it gets lost in their, <laughs> yeah. in their downloads. Yeah. <laughs> but so I'll send them a, like an AAC because then they can just play it right out of their email. Right. So that happens a lot. Some people like... Uh, With Bruce Springsteen, we were using ISDN for a long time, which is just the the ultimate way to do it, if you can, because it's just like they're sitting in the other room. We we do ISDN. Yeah, now what is that? I'd never heard of it before. Well, ISDN, they used to call it Dolby Fax, which is a Dolby encoder, AC2 or AC3. It's kind of like an MP3, a bit like a 256 MP3, and it's stereo and bidirectional. So you can hook up a talkback. I'd send it to Bruce, play it right out of the console, and then we'd also do FaceTime. And the delay for ISDN was just about the same as on FaceTime. So you're looking at each other and listening. We're looking at each other. It's like he's sitting next to me. And in some ways, it's better than if he was there. If he was with me, he'd be sitting in in between the speakers, and I'd be off to the side. Right. This way, we both can be sitting between the speakers. Not only that, but Bruce likes to tell stories. Yeah. And so this kind of limits that a bit, so we get more done. (laughs) That's great. Unfortunately, the ISDN doesn't work anymore. The phone companies don't maintain the phone lines, and Mm -hmm. you get on for a minute or two, and it just drops out. So there were a lot of problems with it. So now we just stream. We have a thing called NiceCast. There's a few different systems that will do that. 
that just sends it over the internet. Unfortunately, there's usually anywhere between 5 and 15 second buffer delay when you're doing that. So it gets a little bit confusing, right. especially if you're doing FaceTime at the same time. Right. I did one album with Bare Naked Ladies. They were all up in Toronto. They live in Toronto. But they were all home, and so all of them could get online. You could get up to 10 people online with wow. it. And so they're listening to the mix live, and they're typing ideas, you know, things that they wanted me to do into um, messages, iMessages or whatever yeah. it was called back then. Yeah. This is a number of years ago. iChat. iChat, yeah. Back it was, in used the day. to be called iChat. And one of them made the comment that it was just like typing commands into the Bob Clear Mountain mix software. That's great. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they type a command in, and then like a minute later, they'd actually hear it, hear That's the difference. That's so great. <laughs> now, I'm assuming it probably varies person to person, but what's the experience like when you send someone a mix, people are listening, monitoring through all kinds of different things, probably some through headphones, some through studio monitors, some through their laptop speakers. Some I mean, through their phone. Yeah, some through their phone. How is that? That's got to kind of drive you nuts when you spend all this time mixing something and they're playing it through their phone. Yeah, when they go like, I don't hear any bass. Yeah, that, oh, what yeah. are you listening? Like, oh, did I'm you upgrade on my the, uh, the sub on your phone? Or? <laughs> yeah, right. You know, it happens. In fact, one time I had uh, this one, it was a live thing. There was a guitar on the left, a guitar on the right, and they... The artist's guitar was on the right. The other guitar player was on the left. And the singers were on the right. And the horns were on the left. And he's going, you know, I, I don't know what you're, you're thinking about when you're mixing, but I, I really don't hear the backing vocals at all. Wow. And I don't hear my guitar at all, but I hear the, the other guitar, and I hear the horns just fine. Like, why? Can't you balance them out a little bit? I'm going, what? And I'm yeah. listening to it, and it sound, it's pretty well balanced. Yeah. You know, I think I have a pretty good idea of a, yeah. of a balance. <laughs> right. And finally, we realized that one of the speakers on his iPhone oh was blown. He was listening through his phone he and he was missing his a speaker. Phone. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> what? Like, oh, man. And then another time, I was mixing something for this guy in London, and he kept telling me to turn the bass down. So okay, well, you know what? He doesn't want to hear much bass. That's fine. Turned down. He said, no, still, this is still too much bass. Turn, okay, I turned down more, sent him another mix. And then finally, he gets. I said, "Look, man, I can't even no bass left. I can't even hear the bass." I said, "What are you listening on?" Well, I'm listening on my headphones. Great reference monitor. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) he said, "Dude, get some proper. If you're going to listen on headphones, get some nice Sennheiser 650s or something, or you know, just get something like a real headphone, right? Something goofy. You know, I wish people would just listen on speakers. And so many people listen on their their laptop." Right. It's how do you, how do you judge something? I mean, it's got to sound good on a laptop. Sure, of course. Anyway, yeah. yeah, yeah. My alternate speakers are a little sharp TV set that the SSL needs. This little monitor for to see what the computer's doing, and it's mounted up on the wall there. And I just plug into that, and it's just a speaker on either side of the the TV, and and that's a pretty good reference, actually. Yeah, it's a really tiny little thing. It doesn't go very loud. Yeah, I've seen some really old Apple monitors in your studio as well. And for I was a like, long time, I was using yeah, I was the like, Apples. Huh, what are those for? And then I think you or Sergio or someone said, oh, that's, you know, you can kind of reference like, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, until I kind of went through like 
eight pairs of them, and they just, they just died after a while. Well, actually, speaking of Serge, he asked me to ask you to tell a story. And I'm very excited to hear the story. Something about Bob Marley's organ player, Earl Lindo? Yeah, that's right, Earl Lindo. Well, it was on a Garland Jeffries record back at Power Station that I co-produced with Garland. And he, he knew this guy. Yeah, it was Marley's organist. And he had asked him to come in and play in one song. I thought, yeah, fantastic, you know. And so the guy comes in, does this take, and it's just, I mean, he's amazing. I mean, just first take <laughs> was like flawless. Right. It was great. And so he comes in and, and listens back, and uh, we both go, wow, man, Earl, that sounds fantastic. Um, and Garland wanted him to try another take. I was like, well, look, we're done. And uh, Garland said, well, let's just try one more. Let's see if it's any different or if you can do any better. And, and Earl... He's sitting there token on a spliff, of course, and, and he's sitting on the couch, you know, in front of the console, and he goes, uh, I liked his take, man. And then he walked out. <laughs> he's like, no, Never we're good, me. actually. I'm done. <laughs> I liked his take. That's great. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are you going to say? Yeah, that was that, it. Yeah. That, okay. <laughs> cool. All right. Let's jump into some questions. First question, favorite doll. Well, <laughs> none. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, favorite. It's hard to say because Logic is fantastic, and they're both great. I think I generally use Pro Tools just because that's how stuff gets delivered. See, I thought you were using Ableton most of the time. No, I've never used Ableton. I'm sure it's great, but not really for what I do. Pro Tools in for what I do is pretty much the standard. I mean, a lot of stuff gets recorded on other DAWs, but. Uh, It'll usually end up, the files will end up in a Pro Tools session. Not only that, but I have two Pro Tools rigs, and they're synced together with time code. And Pro Tools, as far as I know, is the only uh, system that, I mean, I could be wrong. And if I'm wrong, I would love to hear from whoever would know different. But it's the only time you can get close to sample accuracy by linking two systems together. I have a multi-track rig and a print rig. And so when I do multiple takes, usually different versions or whatever, or stems, uh, it's really important that they all line up without having to go back into the multi-track. That way there's no problem with um, sample rates because I never know what sample rate something's going to come in on. So everything goes out at 96 without having to do any uh, sample rate conversion at all. Makes sense. Yeah, and it, it, it's a little easier to keep track of stuff because I have one thing that's just mixes and the other thing that's just multi-tracks. Makes sense. Yeah. All right, I got a phone one for you. Yeah. 8-track, vinyl, cassette, mini-disc, CD, or MP3? <laughs> well, 8-track, of course. <laughs> Back to 8-track, that's what I, you know. I mean, obviously, right? Yeah, you got course. your 8-track player and your Tesla. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like... Who, who cares about rewinding? You know, and I love that bit where it, it gets to the end of the loop and, and whatever song's playing just fades out and fades back in again when it switches tracks. That's great. That's my favorite. And then and then after you, you play it about 10 times and it just jams up all together and you throw it out and get a new one. Right? Who wouldn't love that? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. man, it's why fantastic. did we move away from this? I ever? don't know. I don't know. It seemed perfect to me. All right. This is one that I've experienced. I would love to know... Where did this come from, the man with the golden ears? Uh, I don't know. Does that have something to do with me? Yeah, that's people call you the man with the golden ears. Have you heard that before? I, no, I hadn't heard that. 
right when I started at Apogee, I was on a trip with you and Betty in New York. I mean, it, we're in Manhattan. It's not exactly a quiet place. There's commotion and cars honking and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And from across the street, at the end of the street, this guy starts yelling, the man with the golden ears. <laughs> God. And I had no idea he was talking about you until he started running towards us and your head kind of sunk down a little bit. And I was like, oh, he's talking about Bob. That's crazy. Oh, that's right. Yeah, now I remember. <laughs> and so he, the man with the golden ears. So no idea. It ain't me. I don't have golden ears. <laughs> I mean, Lucas Vandermee at Apogee can hear way better than I can. That's You know what? There's a really fun story. We'll have to tell that one in another episode, how Lucas actually got pulled into the company. Um, all right, let's see here. Last question is, what was it like working with Gene Simmons of KISS? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, uh, Creatures of the Night was the album that I mixed for, for KISS. And uh, he's a nice guy. I mean, I get along with him. He's all right. He's just a bit of an ego thing there going on. <laughs> there were a couple of things. Well, first off, was he there while you were mixing? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there were a couple of things that- Dressed up? No, not Dang, just up. No. I was really hoping. Although, pretty much every day I'd say, Gene, what's with the hair? <laughs> it's the weirdest hair I've ever seen. On, not just any person, but just about on anything. That's so great. <laughs> we had this ladies' room. I had wired up this extra bathroom in the basement, which is a ladies' room for an echo chamber. But it sounded really good on the drums, especially bass drum. It had this big sort of booming sound. And he'd come in and he'd, you know, most people don't, touch the faders when they're <laughs> right he would come in and just push the bass drum up turn the knob up for the send to the ladies room and he'd blow the speaker pretty much every day all right and i just fun. had to if i finally just said dude stay the fuck away yeah. from the console hands off because the we console. can't afford to keep blowing the speakers right you know great album though yeah I, th I think so you know there was a song called love it loud i think that sergio really likes oh uh, joey it was Joey. Oh, sorry, Joey. Joey, That's yeah. Right. It was it was cousin cousin, cousin Joey. Joey, and um, the one that I related to the most was there was a song that actually Brian Adams wrote called "Rock and Roll Hell." Really? Get me out of this rock and roll hell, and that's what I felt like mixing that record. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> All right, let's move on to something that we haven't done yet in any of the episodes. I thought it'd be kind of cool to give a quick tips and tricks. You have so many techniques that are very unique to your signature sound. And there's one that I love. I mean, this might be a common one, but uh, it was new for me when I first saw you doing it. And then it kind of became a joke. And that is when you mic drums, you tend to... Point the mic at the drums? <laughs> to, no, to point the mic away from the drums, which is oh. great when people walk into a room and they're like, what idiot mic this kid? <laughs> the mics aren't facing the drums. And then, you know, I learned from you that that's... Well, this is, you're talking about the, the room mics, yeah. just the ambience mics. Right. I mean, they are called room mics. <laughs> For a and reason. so, they're, you know, I'm not actually miking the drums, I'm miking the room. And so, I point them at the, at the ceiling or the walls depending on the room. But this is something I started doing. I was recording some punk band, I think, at Media Sound. Their Studio A was like a little chapel, and it had a great sound to it. It was a beautiful room and a high, very high ceiling. And I was always into Led Zeppelin, especially songs like When the Levee Breaks, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of 
drum sound, which the story is apparently they recorded that. They set Bonham up in this um, the foyer of a, it was like a castle that wow. Jimmy Page owned, I think. With that, I think the mics, the drum mics themselves picked up the sound of the room because it was so ambient. But I thought it'd be interesting if you just put some mics up and mic the room and then you could mix it in to taste. Right. And you could have your direct mics and have both. So I just kept doing it. And I guess a lot of other people started doing it too. I don't know if I was the first one to do that or not. Probably not. Well, either way, it's so really cool. Uh, but I'd love to take credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> and I love when people that don't know walk in a room and see mics facing away. Just the reaction yeah. is fantastic. And a lot of people do use room mics, but they point them at the drums. Right, yeah. Well, that's that's one way. You know, that there's nothing wrong with that, I don't think. The thing I don't understand, and there was a big gear sluts hubbub about it, I raised the question, because I get a lot of multi-tracks that I have to mix, that they'll have one room mic, or they'll have a close room mic and a far room mic, and not a stereo pair, which I always thought was odd you know right. why not put two sort of equidistant stereo room mics i mean you got stereo ears most of the drums <laughs> are usually recorded in stereo with stereo overheads and all that and the thing is you can always make stereo mics mono right you can always shut one of them off or mix them together and put them in in the center but to only have one kind of limits the possibilities you know if you want proper ambience it really limits what you can do when when you get to the mix I think I might have said in the gear sluts string that, you know, this could be slightly unprofessional, which is probably a bad thing to say. It's probably, there's nothing that's really, well, there are some things that are unprofessional, but probably, that's probably not one of them. Right. But I would encourage people, if you're going to record drums and you're going to use room mics, at least do a stereo pair that's meant to be used in stereo. You know, you don't have to use them that way, but sometimes it really helps, especially if you're mixing surround. And I do a lot of surround mixing, and it's so nice to put the stereo room in the back, and then you get a very realistic image of, of the drums in, in a space, and it, it really helps a lot. Once again, you could always just use, use the stereo for the surround and put them in mono in the stereo <laughs> right. if you want to. I don't know why you'd want to do that, but there's no wrong way to do it. Right. For me, that's changed a lot, uh, and I love the way my drums sound now <laughs> since I've started doing that. And let's just give everyone a two first since we're talking drums. You actually have influenced the mic that I use as an overhead mic, and it's not one that I ever would have expected being a ribbon mic. I think you walked in and saw someone <laughs> doing it at one point and thought, what the heck? And then it's... Well, that's the thing. One of the guys at Apogee who was really a... Uh, he was a video guy, wasn't uh -huh. he? Yeah, he was in a video yeah, Chris Lawson. Yeah. yeah, he was recording some friends of his at the Apogee studio and I stopped by just to say hello and I see he's got this Royer SP12 stereo ribbon mic over the drums I said well what's that yeah, what he goes oh no this is a cool thing for, for drum overhead yeah you, you mummer last time you were using the studio buddy yeah <laughs> I said are you kidding me <laughs> that, that can't possibly sound good he goes well just check it out you know and then his drummer started playing they were getting sounds I went and soloed that, and it was like, it was like the best overhead sound I'd ever heard. There was there was no phasing. The, it was so even. It was such a wide picture of the drums. I mean, really, a lot wider than I would have expected. And uh, I've been using it ever since. All right. So that is tips and tricks, techniques that are specific to Bob's signature sound. The last thing we would typically do at this point in the podcast is give you some advice, but Bob has actually done that already. 
when you check out Clear Mountain's domain, don't just stay with the defaults. Go under the hood. Yeah, exactly. Get creative. Show me something I don't know. I love that. All right. Well, that's going to be it for today's episode. We hope you've enjoyed. If you have any questions you'd like to ask Bob, we would love to hear from you and we would love to answer them on our next episode. Until then. Cheers. Next time on Clear Mountain's Domain. Our very first live show recorded at NAMM 2020 with special guest, producer, and mixing engineer, Tony Berg. Join us as Bob answers these questions and more. Do you find that old reverb units with lower bit depth blend into mixes better? What's your favorite movie? What are you most excited for in the modern music industry? What was it like to work with Brian Adams on his first album? And did you both think that it was going to be that big of a hit? Do you have any habits, traditions, or superstitions that are part of your process and may surprise us? AKA Lucky Socks. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Clear Mountains Domain. For more information about this podcast or to submit questions for Bob to answer in future episodes, please visit us online at apogeedigital.com and click on the Clear Mountains Domain podcast banner. This podcast is recorded with Apogee Hype Mike and yours should be too. Visit apogeedigital.com for a list of dealers in your area or pick up a renewed version from Apogee Online. Make sure to use promo code CLEARMOUNTAIN at checkout to receive our podcast family discount. You're welcome.